Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. During this series, we are inviting the whole church to abide with Jesus in prayer and fasting. Thanks for joining us today. Hey everyone, in case you uh, missed last week or you're visiting with us this morning, we started this new year, 2022, in a series called 21 Days of Prayer And fasting, and the idea behind this series is pretty simple. We want to intentionally set aside the first part of this year to seek the Lord. We want to see a revival. We want to see a renewal. We want to experience a refreshing in our relationship with God. And if you're following, we're doing that by committing to abide in Jesus in prayer and fasting. This is just a three-week series. Last week, I talked about this idea of abiding and the power that we find in abiding. Jesus came to give us life, life to the full. And he said, the only way to experience that is by abiding in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so we get to stay connected to him in order to experience the life he wants us to experience. And one of the ways we do that is by practicing the same spiritual disciplines that Jesus practiced. I called them spiritual graces last week. And while there are many of those, we're looking at two in specific this next two weeks. I'm going to talk about prayer today and fasting next week. Now, I don't know about you, I have never heard anybody in my life say, I have mastered this thing we call prayer. How about you, anybody? In fact, most of the time, what I hear is a little bit of, "Uh, I'm not really good at praying. I just don't know what to say when I'm praying. I'm uncomfortable praying around other people. I don't know what to do. And we just have this sort of sense of deficiency when it comes to our prayer lives. Now, what I find interesting, and you might find this interesting too, There was another group of people in the New Testament who had this same sense of deficiency when it came to prayer. Did you know it was Jesus' disciples? The very group of people that followed Jesus, the people who Jesus entrusted the gospel message to be spread to the entire earth, the 12 men he handpicked to spread the faith, people like Peter, people like John, These guys, we tend to put on spiritual pedestals and think they must have had it all together. Did you know they really had no idea how to pray? Or at least pray the way that Jesus prayed. And that's why in Luke chapter 11, which is a parallel passage to the one we're looking at this morning in Matthew 6, when the disciples come upon Jesus praying, which they did often, they finally muster up the courage to ask him, hey, would you teach us? how to pray the way you pray. We've been watching you for years, and there's just something different about the way you pray. And the good news, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus agrees and says, I'll teach you how to pray. Now, this blew me away when I first read this, that they would ask him to learn how to pray, because these are good Jewish boys. And no other faith in history as a nation held up this ideal of prayer than Israel. No other people learned how to pray more than the Jews. In fact, they were required to memorize prayer. If these disciples had gone to school, which they certainly did, they would have memorized countless prayers that they would have prayed at different times throughout the day. And yet, there was something in Jesus that they saw that they did not have, and they wanted to learn how to pray. And so this morning, if you've been intimidated by prayer, you wonder what is even the purpose of prayer, or you're just frustrated because you don't think you do it very well, then I hope that we can learn today together from the master of prayer how to 
pray. Now, to be honest, for many of you, this is going to be nothing new. We've taught on this text a, a number of times. We find it in the Sermon on the Mount, but perhaps you've gotten a little stale in your prayer life. You just need a little recharge, or, or maybe you just have a heart during this 21 days to go a little bit deeper. That's my hope for you. So if you haven't already, let me just ask you if you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 5 in this text. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can always find one in the seat underneath you there. I'd love for you to have a hard copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, period, you're welcome to take that home with you as our gift to you. You can find it on page 787 in those black Bibles. Now, this section we're going to be looking at is probably one of the most familiar in the whole Bible. It has what we call the Lord's Prayer in it, and we're eventually going to get to that. However, I find it interesting Before Jesus ever gets to any of the words we're actually supposed to say when we pray, Jesus first gets to the heart of why we pray. He answers this question, why pray? Why should we abide in Jesus by practicing this discipline of prayer? And for Jesus, it's all about having the right motivation, the right desire, the right heart. And to address it, he gives us three examples of the wrong kind of motivations in order to pray. The first one is found in verse five. If you're ready, it says, and when you pray, let's just pause here. Notice it's not if you pray. It's a when you pray as Jesus' disciples. This is one of the graces we have to abide in Jesus. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. If you're following on your notes, the first thing Jesus says about prayer is prayer is not a show used to impress others. If your goal in prayer is to impress other people, uh, you're missing the point. Now, Jesus is not forbidding public prayer here. In fact, we see the early church practicing this over and over and over again. But what he's forbidding is praying in a way that you're more interested in receiving approval from others than God's approval. That's the wrong motivation. I call these soapbox prayers, right? And we have to understand what Jesus is referring to here contextually because this is not something we would experience today. But you got to understand, like I already kind of mentioned, it was a given that in Israel, every person at certain times throughout the day was supposed to pause and pray. No matter where you found yourself at 9 a.m., at 3 p.m., at 12 p.m., you were to pause and you were to offer up a prayer. If you happened to be in a public place, you stopped and you prayed. We see an example of this in the book of Daniel, although he always made sure wherever he was that he would get back into his private place in order to pray these kinds of prayers. Now, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with this practice. In fact, I've had a discipline in my life at times where I'll set an alarm on my watch just to remind myself to pray throughout the day. However, what happened and what Jesus is addressing here is that this system got a little bit corrupted. You see, people would plan their walks into town, into the busiest intersection of the town, think veterans and Wabash, right at the moment when the bell would ring and I'd have to pray, and they would lift their voices up in this very dramatic, flowery prayer, and people would look at them and go, wow, aren't they spiritual? Now, I think we can still fall in this trap today. Have you ever been around somebody, or maybe you've done this yourself? where you see they have this normal speaking voice, and then they have their prayer voice. 
you're like, wow, like, why aren't they talking normal here? Why are they doing something different here? The James Earl Jones voice comes out, right? Why do we do that? Because we want to impress others with our spirituality. And Jesus says, ah, that's the wrong motivation to pray. Prayer isn't to be a show that you're doing in order to impress other people. If that's what you're after, look at what he says. Then you've probably already gotten your reward. People may actually be impressed by that, but understand, I'm not impressed by that at all. In verse 7, he addresses a second wrong motivation of prayer. It says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. This word babbling, it's a wonderful Greek word. It is batalogeo in Greek. And it just means talking and talking and talking with no actual purpose. Now, when he's referring to the pagans, obviously the Jewish culture was living under the Roman rule at this time, and the Romans had a number of different gods that they would pray to, and it was taught to them, if you wanted to get a god's attention in order to get something from that god, you had to talk and talk and talk in order to try to bribe these gods in order to get what you want. You see an example of this in the story in in Elijah on Mount Carmel. We looked at Elijah this last summer, right, where these prophets, these pagan prophets are just screaming and yelling, trying to get their god's attention. They even go so far as to cut themselves. Please answer our prayers. Jesus says that's not how our God works. Thank goodness. If you're following on your notes, God is not bribed by wordy, superficial prayers. Now, I've got a confession to make. There are certain people when I'm in a group with and I know they're about to pray, pray I go, no. Never at this church, of course. I mean, this was pre-Cherry Hill's time. Why? Because you just know they're going to go on and on and on and on. And listen, I'm not going to be their judge. Maybe they have the right heart behind that. But the bigger point is it's not about the number of words we say in prayer that's going to impress God. It's not going to get his attention any more than a short, heartfelt prayer well. We don't have to use fancy words to impress him, right? Third thing Jesus says about prayer, prayer is more than just asking God for what I want. I get this from verse 8, if you have your Bible open still. Do not be like them, right? The people who pray with wrong motivations. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, please don't mishear me again. This does not mean we're not to spend time in prayer asking God for what we need. That's certainly a huge part of what prayer is. However, Jesus simply wants to remind us there's more to prayer than just asking God to, get thing, to do things for you. But if we're honest, I think that's where a lot of our prayer is spent. That's what a lot of us do, right? I remember when I was traveling a little bit more early on here in, uh, at Cherry Hills, and I would come home. Our kids were young at that point. Some of you have experienced this too, I'm sure. And you come, and they would be like, Daddy, there's nothing greater than that, right? Daddy, arms open wide. And I would bring a gift, and I'd give them a gift for wherever I had traveled. And I noticed what happened over time is that the more I would come back, the more they would be like, where's our gift? And I'm like, what happened to the Daddy. Right? What happened to the welcome? What happened to the time when you came and you were actually excited to see me and not the gift I was bringing with you? And if we're honest, I think our prayer lives can turn into that sometimes. What can you give me, God? Here's what I want you to give me. 
I know some of you have probably heard this before, but early on in my walk with Jesus, my understanding was sort of like God was this giant vending machine. And if I popped in the right prayer into that machine, then out would come my request. So bless me, God, in this situation. Protect me. Help me. Keep me safe. Before long, all my prayer became about was asking God to do things in my life. And listen, here's the danger of that. When he didn't do exactly what I wanted him to do, I would think, what's wrong with God? Where's God in my life? And I think he would be absent from me. According to Jesus, you got to be careful. That's the reason for praying, because God is not a giant vending machine. Prayer is more than just asking God for what we need or we want. But again, hear me, that certainly is a huge part of our prayer. And so obviously that begs the question, why do we pray? If it's not to impress others, if it's not to try to bribe God with showy, flashy prayers, if it's not just to ask about all the things we want him to do for us, what is our motivation as followers of Jesus when it comes to abiding in him in prayer? Jesus answers that in verse 6. I have it on your notes. Could we read it out loud together? He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So if prayer is not for show, if it's not trying to impress God or other people, if it's not just getting what I want from God, Jesus says, listen, here's what prayer really is. You're on your notes. The purpose of prayer is to connect personally with the Father. At its heart, at its core, never miss this. Prayer is our invitation to commune with your perfect heavenly Father, to relate to him, to worship him, to fellowship with him. That's why we call these gifts of grace. Prayer is a grace from God to say, come, come and spend time with me. Come, be with me. This is one of the primary ways we abide with Christ. Practically, Jesus gets a little practical here. He says, go in your room. Close the door. Get alone with your father. I talked about some of the other disciplines last week. I mentioned them. I talked about solitude and silence, and here it is. Here it is. It's another spiritual practice that we should be practicing, right? I need to get away from the loud, noisy, busy world. Get into my room or get into whatever space you've got to go. and Just be still before God. My father saying, this is important to me. More than ever, I think, in our culture, we need this, don't you? We are so busy today. We are so cluttered. Everything's so fast. Everything's so noisy, so tech-driven. We can't listen to the voice of God in our lives anymore, even if he was trying to speak. iPhones, computers, screaming kids, radios, TV, so much noise, so much distraction. God's invitation is, will you just set some of that aside for a second? Will you come and be still and be with me? So let me ask you, do you have that? Do you have a regular time? Do you have a regular place where you are still away from distractions? Here's what I know, because I know me well. It's not going to happen unless you make it happen. I know what some of us are thinking. I'm too busy for this. 
But isn't it amazing that we will always make time for the things that are important to us? Always. I mean, think about it. I always have time to do what I want to do because that's what's important to me. Jesus tells two parables that really hit to the heart of this. They're called the parable of the pearl and the parable of the treasure. And basically the idea behind these parables is that a a man comes across this pearl and he's willing to sell everything he has in order to have this pearl. Same thing with this treasure. And Jesus' point is, am I worth that much to you? Am I your treasure? Am I your pearl? Then make some space in your life to be with me, to connect with me in prayer. For me, practically, this is meant, don't look at your phone before you do this in the morning. Because you know what happens when you look at your phone, right? Emails, texts, busyness, all of these things. It might mean getting up earlier. I'm not talking 4 a.m. Remember, you don't got to babble on and on and on and try to impress God. I'm just saying, hey, 10 minutes earlier, if you just don't have the time for that, just listen again. The goal of prayer is not to get better at praying. Though I want to get better at praying. The goal of prayer is not to try to set new records for how much time you spend praying. Can I get an amen? The goal of prayer is not to impress God. It is not works righteousness, right? It's not a work. It's an invitation. And we are able to accept this amazing invitation that is now made available to us in Jesus Christ. Get alone with your Father. Spend time with him, abide in him, believing he's my reward. He's the pearl of great price. He is my treasure. If you're following, prayer is accepting God's invitation to be with him. This is not that complicated, but it's an incredible invitation. When I was young, I was thinking about this this last week. It was just a memory that came back. I don't know if that ever happens to you. But one of my favorite, absolute favorite things to do was to, we had this old mattress in our shed and I would pull it out and I would beg my dad, dad, will you come and throw the football? And I would put the mattress in our backyard and he would throw the football and I'd be diving on that mattress like I was Randy Moss. And I just thought that was the greatest time, just being able to spend some time with my dad, enjoying this relationship with him. That's what he is saying to us. I want to spend some time with you. As your dad, as your perfect father, I want to spend some time with you because I love you. I'd love to be with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to carry your burdens with you. I'd love to give you peace and rest. I don't know about you, but viewing prayer this way has made it so less, much less intimidating for me. I don't have to be wordy. I don't have to be flashy thinking I'm going to get God's attention. I don't have to spend hours of time praying thinking that's what counts. Listen, prayer is simply bringing the real you, the real you, to the God who loves you unconditionally. I know what you're thinking. That's great. I believe that. I believe that's the purpose. I'm ready to do this. But the problem is I'm still going to have to say something when I get there. I'm still going to need some words to say. Well, thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. In verse 9 and following, he shows his disciples how they can pray. It's called the pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Some of you probably have it memorized because it's one of those things, right? We're supposed to know this. We're supposed to be able to say this, right? But I got to tell you something. Jesus gives us here in these next verses is not meant to be some sort of formula that we just memorize and recite back to him. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing necessarily wrong with reciting this prayer. We're going to do it later together as a church. If 
if it really is coming from the heart, if you really are thinking about the words that you are saying, but maybe you've had the experience that I have had when I can just be saying words and not even thinking about what I'm saying. Happens to me sometimes when we're singing here on Sunday mornings, right? There's words on the screen and I'm saying those words, but I'm not even thinking about what I'm singing back to God. And that's what Jesus warned us about, right? Don't just babble. Don't just talk nonsense. Don't mindlessly pray. In fact, I'd argue this was never Jesus' intention for this prayer to be repeated over and over again as some sort of formula because, here's my argument, in Luke chapter 11, which I mentioned is the parallel text to this one in Matthew, the Lord's prayer is different. And you don't see in the Bible the disciples saying, uh, Jesus, don't you know the Lord's prayer? You didn't say it right. You left out that part. Now, a formula was never God's intention. If you're following on your notes, the Lord's Prayer is not a formula. It's a framework. And it's such a gift. Here's a, here's a picture I, I would just use to explain this. This is a picture frame. It's a framework, right? And the Lord's Prayer is a wonderful framework. I need some idea of what I'm supposed to do in prayer, and he's about to give it to us. But within that picture, it doesn't have to be formulaic. It doesn't have to be memorized. It has to be you, the real you coming to the Father. But he gives us some great boundaries as we do that. So with that in mind, let's look at the framework Jesus gives us. In the Lord's Prayer, I think we find four key aspects of prayer, right? Four sides of the framework. The first one is found in verse 9. Can we read it out loud on our notes there? It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now I'm going to break that down. First, our Father in heaven. Ooh, I could say so much about this one line right here. This is revolutionary language. No one in the history of Israel ever referred to God in this personal of a way that Jesus refers to him. Sometime the nation of Israel would refer to him as father, but never before would somebody call God this intimate of a name. And I think, oh yeah, well, of course, Jesus. Jesus can do that. Jesus is God's son, but don't miss this. He's inviting us to call God our father as well. Abba, dad, personal relationship. And yet he balances it with in heaven. I mean, think about that. In heaven, where he reigns as king, as ruler forevermore, there's this great thing about God that he's the king of the universe. He's the name above every other name. He's the alpha. He is the omega. He is untouchable. He's transcendent. And yes, yet in Christ, we can also refer to him as Abba. He's the humble servant. He came to be our friend, Jesus said. This is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. And Jesus says, when you start your prayers, instead of starting with yourself, instead of starting with your requests, as we so often do, if you're on your notes, pause long enough to recognize who it is you're talking to. Don't let it just become a routine. Pause long enough to remember the Father who's in heaven eternal king and humble servant. Become fully present in your space and time. Enter into his presence as we talked about stillness and silence. Prepare us for this. They prime our hearts 
for a place of greater peace, a greater place of greater understanding, a place of greater awareness of who it is we are actually talking to. So pause and recognize who you're talking to. Second, in that same note there, Jesus teaches that we should continue prayer by declaring God's greatness. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's not a word we use today, right? So what does it mean to hallow God's name? In Greek, the word hallow comes from a root word just meaning holy. Holy, to treat someone as holy. And so in other words, when Jesus says we're to hallow God's name, he's inviting us to revere God, to honor God, to glorify God, to acknowledge God as God, as the sovereign ruler and king of the universe. So take a moment to declare how great and awesome God is. Again, this doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be wordy. If you wake up and you see the sunrise, just pause and say, God, I give glory to you. You are the creator of the universe. If God blesses you in some way, just take a moment and say, God, you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord who provides for me, and I praise you for that. The best way to learn how to declare the greatness of God is if you've got a Bible plan of some sort, I would just encourage you, whatever your Bible reading is for that day, I guarantee there's something about God in that plan. Use that and just pray it back to him. Pray the Psalms. The Psalms are full of opportunities for us to say, the heavens declare your glory. And we just say it back. That's legal. You can copy from the Bible. Or it would be totally legal to start prayer by listening to a favorite hymn or a favorite praise song. I do that a lot. Worshiping is not just something we do here on Sunday mornings through music. We can do this privately all throughout the week. Now, I would just venture to guess about your prayers because I know enough about my prayers. We don't spend a lot of time. It's typically, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this. Now I got some stuff I need to unload on you. You ready? Jesus says, now a good framework for prayer starts, pause long enough, be still and recognize who it is you're talking to, and then spend some time declaring how great he is. And here's what I think you'll start to discover. This is what I've discovered as I've been practicing this more in my life. All those urgent things that I need to bring to the table don't become as urgent. Because I'm reminding myself, oh yeah, he really is sovereign ruler of the universe. He's in control of everything. And he really is the humble king who stepped down into humanity so I could have a relationship with him, which means he loves me so much that I can cast my cares upon him and know that he cares. Friends, when we practice these two things, try it. I'd make a wager that it'll put your problems your diseases, your financial struggles, your relational struggles within a context that you haven't thought about before. I'm praying to the mighty God in heaven who cares so deeply for me that he came to make that relationship right. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next, Jesus comes to the part we want to pass by in prayer. I want to pass by. But we need to know that this right here, verse 10, more than anything else, this right here is central to bearing fruit for God's glory, central to really abiding with Christ. Can we read it out loud on our notes there? It says, your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like my kingdom. I like my will. Jesus says, take time every day to say, not my needs, not my wishes, not my wants. You, 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 you. If you're on your notes, take time to surrender your life entirely to God. You're like me. You got to do this every single day. Amen? I got to do this every single day because, man, I wake up and I've got some plans. I've got some desires. I've got some wants that I want. It's like the great hymn, Come Thou Fount, says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. In prayer, we spend time saying, Father, I want you to know your agenda for my family comes before my agenda for my family. I want you to know your agenda about whether or not I'm supposed to be married comes before my agenda. Your agenda about my money, my time, my business, my career, my kids, before I get to any of that stuff, and it is pressing on me right now. Now I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling afraid about these things. I just want you to know I'm fully surrendered to you for my life, believing your will, your kingdom is the best for my life. This is a prayer of faith. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. Because that's what I believe is going to be really the best for me. And that's where life change happens. This is where fruit is born and grown in the glory of God. This is where God becomes more than an impersonal being up there somewhere in heaven, more than a vending machine. He becomes your personal heavenly father. Because if you're on your notes, this kind of prayer gets us into alignment with God's will and purposes. Too often I pray my kingdom come, my will be done on earth because I don't care about heaven right now. All I can see is right in front of me and it's weighing me down. Give me this day everything I want. Lead me not into temptation because I can find it by myself. Jesus says, if you want to learn how to pray effectively, I'm going to tell you, pause, spend some time in stillness recognizing who you're talking to. Then declare the greatness of the person you are talking to. Then here I want you to do the next logical thing, which is to say, hey, great and awesome God, the one who invited me into a relationship, your kingdom, your desires, your will, your purposes take precedence over mine. As scary as that is, as painful as it might be, I'm surrendering. Surrendering my money, my marriage, my kids, my future, my hopes, my dreams, what I major in. I'm surrendering my business. I'm surrendering all that to you because I want your will more than I want my will. Because I fundamentally believe, this is the key. I fundamentally believe that would be the best life. That would be the full life. Jesus prayed this prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me but not your will, not my will, excuse me. Your will be done. I can imagine if you're sitting here, if you're honest with yourself, you can think of some things right now. You're not surrendering entirely to God. It's keeping you from being a branch that is fully bearing fruit for God's glory. But the core of abiding prayer comes down to, are you going to trust and surrender everything to him? Are you going to keep living this way? My will be done. I'll give you these things, but my will be done in this thing. Fully surrendering, that's how you abide. That's how you bear fruit for the glory 
of God. And it's not until we get those three things down does Jesus move on to the fourth aspect of prayer, usually the part we rush right into. Let's read verses 11 through 13 out loud together on our notes there. It says, Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is usually where I start my prayers. And look, good news, there is a time to bring our needs to Jesus. And he says, listen, that comes after though. Comes after you align yourself with God's will. Truth is, I could spend weeks talking about just these three requests right here. But for our purposes this morning, I'm going to boil it down to my understanding of what all these requests have to do with. They all have to do with acknowledging our dependency on God for every area of our lives. In fact, if you're following, finish prayer by admitting your complete dependence on God. In these verses, Jesus breaks that down into three categories, which I believe cover all of life. Give us today our daily bread. Pray your dependence on your physical needs and for the physical needs of others. Pray for God to meet the physical needs of the people in your life, of the ministries that minister all throughout this world. Pray that God would provide in those ways. Forgive us our sins. Pray for your relational needs. Pray that I am made right with God, my relationship with him, but also that we are made right with one another, that we are keeping short accounts with those in our lives. And then finally, right, lead us not into temptation. Pray for your spiritual maturity and growth. Pray that you would learn to abide more in the vine so that you can bear fruit for God's glory. Pray that we will live the way of Jesus. If you're following, this section of the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we can pray for our physical, relational, and spiritual needs. And that pretty much covers all of life. And that's the point. In prayer, we declare our utter and total dependence on God. There's a time to bring requests. And our Father listens to us and provides for us in his way and in his timing. And that's the Lord's Prayer. If you look on the back of your notes real quick, I just put a couple of acronyms if it would be helpful for you. These are not mine. I did not make these up. These are ones we've used in our church body. But these are acronyms that people have put together helpfully as a way to sort of pray the Lord's Prayer in your own kind of way. Again, it's a framework, right? It's not just a formula. So if that'd be helpful for you, I just wanted to give that to you. But as we close here, let me just leave you again with the one big idea. Prayer. What is it? It's the Father's invitation to you to be with him. That's it. It's having a conversation with your dad who also just happens to be the king and ruler of the entire universe. And you just bring your heart to him. There's no reason to fear. There's no reason to be intimidated. Your father is waiting for you. The simple question is, if you're on your notes, will you accept God's amazing invitation to connect in prayer more deeply this year? Jesus promised to us last week, listen, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we prepare ourselves to take communion, Here's what I'd like us to do. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, but hopefully we're not just reciting it. Hopefully we can speak this to him, the new understanding and new meaning. Let's read these words up on the screen together. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <laughs> 